Welcome back, everyone, to the Wiser Money Show. You have me, your wonderful host, Zach, alongside Ken. Ken, how are we doing today? I'm doing good. I'm glad you got all that spirit in here because, you know, some days I feel like an accountant. (laughs) And if you ever ever want to kill a party, just invite an accountant, right? (laughs) So I'm glad you got the life today. So thanks for bringing it. I'm trying to bring it all day, every day, as (laughs) usual. (laughs) But picking up where we left off, we were discussing or we ended our last episode talking about bloodline trust and you started going into it, but then we decided let's dedicate a whole episode to the bloodline trust because that might offer or should offer a better protection to a family's assets rather than just the standard probate only lump sum trust because we now know that mistake number one is never leaving lump sums to children. And that's what segued us into the bloodline trust. So please, Ken, enlighten us all on the bloodline trust. Well, I want to start off with, um, I mean, I'm talking literally like 30 seconds before we get on the show. Um, I have an agent in um, Tampa, Florida, and it was only supposed to be a five-minute call. It turned into an hour call because she was telling me about how her husband of 39 years, which is his second marriage, he has a steps, he she has a stepson, her son, um, his son, her stepson. Right. And <laughs> after 39 years, um, he's been deemed incompetent. And in the middle of the night, she gets a knock on the door, and it's an agent, uh, a law enforcement agent, to serve her with papers that her step the stepson who they only see like once a year once every two years who lives in ohio claimed that the dad was in danger and the dad had named him power of attorney and for assets but it was so many years ago she had forgotten about it and they took him away and put him into a home because the stepson claimed he was in danger stepson didn't even know hasn't been there, doesn't even know what the living environment is, but it was a money grab. And, you know, she was telling me, she goes, I need to write a book on this. I need to tell people. I said, listen, I tell people every single day, I'd love to have another voice, but let me tell you what the response is generally going to be. Oh, no, that would never happen. People put their head in the sand. Oh, no, my son would never do that. My son-in-law would never do that. My stepson would never do that. And I said, this is what people tell me all the time, every day. And when we tell them why we plan things out this way, most people are like, oh, well, I'm just biding my time. You know, let them deal with it. That would never happen. I said, so her name is Cinda. I said, Cinda, bottom line is when it comes to chunks of money, you you cannot trust that people will not make a money grab. You can't. And I said to her, I said, it doesn't really matter how much money it is. I said, listen. It's been known you could hire a hitman in New York City from $500 to $1,000 to kill another human being. So you don't think that for a small amount of money, somebody's not going to do something like this? She said, it's been unbelievable. She said, now I have to submit all my reports to the state of everything I spend money on for my own husband. Yeah, (laughs) And, And it's crazy, right? But, you know, here we get into the bloodline trust and we catch you up to date if you haven't listened to some of the prior episodes or it's been a little while there's two kind of trusts there's a lump sum trust where you pass away you just say here you go to the kids it divides the assets into certain 
you know, what I want Billy Bob to get a third and uh, Sarah Sue to get two thirds, whatever, I, whatever your trust says or your will says. What we're talking about now is saying if, if that goes out to the kids and Billy Bob gets divorced, his wife can go after all that money. If Billy Bob dies, it doesn't necessarily go to your grandkids. It might go to his wife. And then if she gets remarried, it goes to somebody else. Right. If Billy Bob's in a car accident, depending on what state, I mean, there's some states that are, you know, full fault states, meaning that they assess a fault and they can go after you for everything you own. Exactly. So they, he could lose the money or if he just gets sick. Right. That's the problem of these lump sums. And then let's look at the second big problem is if people are willing to do this kind of money grab for their relatives, then there's a bigger problem because it's like this lottery mentality of, uh, and, and there's actually, if you research um, Texas A&M, Texas A&M has a financial planning department and you can actually get a sub-degree in behavioral finance. And I've taken classes through them before. And one of the things that scientists have discovered is there's like these caveman triggers in our brains that when we think we're going to lose out on an inheritance, we are, some humans believe that it's like one piece of meat in the cave for cavemen. Mm -hmm. They all got to fight over it. There's no more meat out there. Or there's some people that go, I'd rather fight for the meat in the cave than have to go out and work to hunt down more meat. Yeah. I think, right? I think that's the biggest problem. Is, yeah. Is, it's, is that the latter of those two? It's like people, when they see the golden ticket in front of them, they're like, I want that. And I don't care what it takes to get that. And then now you have siblings who've known each other for 30, 40, 50 years that now hate each other and don't talk for the rest of their lives over something just like this. And I feel like it happens far too often. So if yep. we can protect that in any way and, and, and anyone can protect that in any way, why would you go down the route of potentially having this issue when it can be fixed and mediated while you're alive and make sure that you're good to go when you die? You know, there's a realization that I've had over the years, um, and I can't statistically prove this, but if you ask me my opinion, women are 75% more concerned with making sure that their final assets and their asset protection is in place more than men. And You might be able to prove that. I just read an article on that. There's an article about that, about how women are way more concerned than men. And I'll pull up the article and I'll make sure that we post the article with this as well, um, whether it be through the podcast or through our blog that we have as well. But I, it's it's crazy to see that and to read that because we're still all human. But right. there's something different about the the woman's mindset when it comes to their assets being protected. That's kind of cool that you bring that up because you know a lot of times I read some of these studies and they formulate the studies and the conclusions by asking questions. And I don't always trust that because I've learned after 40 years now that if you ask somebody about how they feel about risk, you will get inaccurate information. Because I tell people this, if, you, if I would have asked you how you felt about risk on 9-10-2001, Mm -hmm. You'd be like, yeah, everything's good. 
after those planes hit the buildings, everybody changed. So risk right. is is emotional. It's macroeconomic driven. It's p- what you see on the news. And if you compare it to what ju- what they've done in the studies on judges, it depends on what you eat, whether you had a marital argument beforehand. So a lot of that stuff that they conclude these statistics based on questions, I don't always believe. But the article that you read will correlate with 40 years of actual experience. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I come up with that 75% because when I bring this up, a lot of times the men are like, oh, no, I trust my son-in-law and my daughter would never do anything like that. And so then when I bring, I know what triggers the female, the female, 75% of the time, not always. If I say, okay, if you die and you leave a lump sum to your daughter and she dies on Monday, her husband will get your money. And right. 75% of the women are, it clicks and they're like, no way. Yeah. Is that slime ball, lazy piece of garbage going to get my money? And it's funny because you could look at the men and they're like, I don't really care. You know, that's most of the time men are that's that's how they feel about it. Right. You're right. Like women, about seven out of 10 times, they click and they're like, OK, what do we got to do to protect that? So that just all goes back to that lump sum. Right. Damn. Hold on. I have to say my in-laws just got their trust drafted. And I'm not in it. So they cut me out for that same reason. So I hope I'm not that slime ball husband of their daughter. Well, it's it's sometimes it's not even that. Sometimes if there's grandkids, exactly. And and if you think about that, the the flow of money, how it can go from them to your wife, she dies or gets divorced, and it goes to you, but then you die or get remarried, it goes somewhere else, not to your not to your son not to your son ace exactly so it doesn't always necessarily have to be like i don't want that person game it's just a logic of how money flows under english common law right and, right? and to to be 100 percent honest i did explain that to them and told them that that's what they should do because at the end of the day if something was god forbid to happen between us i want my son taken care of i i'll take care of myself Right. But I want to make sure my son is is taken care of as well. So well, in a I sense, told if, them you think, that. if you think through that, the logic of this, and we'll get to the, the sub, sub shares. If your wife, Lexi, die, uh, if your parent uh, in-laws die and your wife gets the inheritance and it's in a sub share. And if she dies, the way it should be designed is while your son, Ace, is growing up, you have access to income from Lexi's sub share to bring up your son. But then if it's done right at age 18, then it flips into, well, one year from 18, it flips into an incentive clause. Right. And so that that's really, and and let me probably everybody listening going, wait, what, (laughs) (laughs) what, what did you just do there? Okay. So I should probably, that's a, that's a good thing though. That, I mean, it it has you thinking at the very least, and then now we're able to explain it a little bit deeper Yeah. so they can really start to understand why you do certain things and how it protects you to the maximum effect. Yeah. And so, all right, let me kind of get into this and try to explain it best I can without visualizing it. So (laughs) if let's say, uh, I got to use a number here, call it a million dollars. Call it um, 
Bob and Mary Smith own the million dollars jointly as husband and wife. And let's say that Bob and Mary Smith, oh, for the sake of argument, let's just say they have one child and that child's married and there's three grandkids. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Bob and Mary Smith, let's say Bob dies Monday, Mary dies Tuesday. And if we do, we've already outlined the problems with the lump sum. Mm -hmm. If we do a bloodline trust, what happens is their daughter has a sub share. So here's what the difference is. In a normal trust, Bob and Mary Smith million dollars gets paid into the daughter's name. And Bob and Mary Smith's trust goes away. Mm -hmm. It's removed. And so now you're left with the money in the daughter's name. And this is where the issues come into play. Death, disability, divorce, lawsuit. All right, the three DLs. However, what we're talking about now is Bob and Mary Smith's trust never goes away. All that it does is it creates what's called a sub share. It's a new title for the name of the assets that were in Bob and Mary's trust. Okay, you can call it whatever you want: daughter's trust, sub share trust, whatever you want. Okay. However, that sub trust has different rules, language than Bob and Mary Smith's trust did. The reason is Bob and Mary Smith, while they're alive, they don't want restrictions on their money. They want to be able to just get it when they want to get it and go. Right. right? But if we're going to protect it for the daughter, we have to have a completely different design. Okay. So let's talk about, it's funny because um, I literally just got off this discussion with Cinda, like right before we got on the show because of her situation, because, you know, I said, you know, there's more to it than, well, she said, um, my assets are separate. And so I have enough assets in my husband's name to take care of him, but my assets are separate. I went, no, no, Cinda, they're not because you're legally married. Yep. So if he needs more care than what he has assets for, they will take your money or exclude you from benefits until you run your money down. I said, in addition, if you die first and he's now put into a Medicaid facility, you have to remember that your assets belong to his health care before they belong to your beneficiaries. And she had no idea. Yeah. And she said, and then she said, well, why doesn't my, she goes, that really makes me frustrated that my lawyer never told me that. I said, well, listen, there are what's called transactional lawyers that just draft this stuff. They know mm -hmm. how to draft it, but they don't, they've never lived it to understand, to explain to you what could happen. I said, so there are probably one out of the 10 lawyers that have lived it. I've lived it so I can walk you through it. So then I explained um, the trust and I, and she said, well, I can't make a decision. I have four sisters. Maybe I name one of them the trustees. I said, okay. I said, I'm going to give you basically what my design is. And my yeah. design is never name a, a family member as a trustee ever, 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 ever. And she said, well, why not? I said, because first, that's not their responsibility. They don't know how to be a trustee. Second is now you get into this family dynamic of everybody arguing. And coming and after the trustee. Yeah, because like if you name your sister as the trustee and 
you know, you want to protect your assets for your daughter and your daughter wants this, but that she says she's supposed to say no, but maybe there's family pressure that they'll estrange each other if she says no. Right. So you have to have a non-interested party be the trustee. She goes, I had no idea. The attorney I'm working with now told me to name one of my family members as the trustee. I said, listen, I said, I'm not giving you legal advice. I'm just telling you, after 40 years of doing this, don't ever name a family member as a trustee. She said, well, who do I name as a trustee? And she said, I have accounts at UBS and they want to move all my assets into their trust company. I said, number two rule, never name a bank or a brokerage account or brokerage company as a trustee. And he could hear her. She's like, wait, what? <laughs> they handcuff you. Yeah, they'll handcuff you. And I said, I've never seen a situation where, listen, I said, it's like putting the fox in the hen house. You're literally saying they can control it. And, I, and then I gave her the story about countless times where the trustee was not acting in the best interest of the beneficiaries. And we have created, so far, we created three lawsuits against the trustees to remove them. All of them were banks and brokerages and all three suits failed. And the trustees used the beneficiary's money to pay for legal fees to protect themselves from being removed. So rule number one, sure. never, never, ever name a fam an individual as a trustee. Number two, never name a bank or a brokerage account a brokerage company as a trustee. So of course, what does she say? Well, who do I name then? Of course. <laughs> I said, there are independent trust companies where they don't sell financial products. You don't want the trust company to sell annuities, banking products, mutual funds, or manage money. Right. The trust company should stand alone as an independent oversight ruler. I said, however, you don't always want to give that trustee the final control. Meaning if you give the trustee the final control, you can never remove them even if they're doing a bad job. So I said, here's what you do. You can name family members, but not the beneficiaries as what's called a trust protector. Of course, she says, well, what is that? I said, a trust protector doesn't have to know how to be a trustee. All they have to do is be able to fire and replace a trustee if needed. But don't make a family member a trustee. Right. Make an independent trust company. She goes, where do I even find them? I said, well, Nevada and South Dakota are generally your best states to find trust companies. She said, why well, is what? that, you think? Well, then she said, well, why is that? Because she's in Florida. And I said, if you look at the asset protection rules, the privacy rules, the ability to have fiduciary oversight, every state has a different requirement. She goes, but I'm a Florida resident. I said, it doesn't matter. You can create your trust and you can name a trustee in all different states. You want to do that with whatever's most preferential for you. Right. So she said, why isn't my attorney telling me all this? I said, I have no idea. I said, but, you know, I just don't know. I don't know who, even know who your attorney is. I said, I'm just telling you this based upon experience. So why am I building this up as the trustee and trust protector? If you don't know what a trust protector is, you don't know what a trustee is and what they do, then it's hard to imagine, well, what is this sub share for the daughter 
of Bob and what was it? Mary Smith, right? Yeah. So, so let me, let me walk you through this. So, because again, the rules for the subshare are different than the rules for Bob and Mary Smith. Bob and Mary Smith have no limits. Right. They do what they want, when they want, how they want. That's their own money. It's just to avoid probate. Okay, so Bob and Mary Smith die. The trust stays in place, and there's a subshare that's created and call it the daughter subshare. Mm -hmm. However, the daughter is not the trustee. And I'll explain why in a minute. The daughter is the beneficiary, what we right. call the economic beneficiary. Okay. And so I learned this lesson my first 10 years. And I was working for a large firm in New York and was doing tax work. And I was doing them for Nevis Island and um, some other island trusts. And I couldn't understand this. Like some of them were airplane trusts, some of them were yacht trusts. And I still remember going to my boss, but I'm like, wait a minute, who, whose airplane is this? And he was like, it's none of your business. <laughs> right, right. You shouldn't ask that. It's, but I'm like, well, who flies the plane? He goes, the pilot? Well, who flies on the plane? The beneficiary of the trust. I said, I don't get it. Well, if this person that flies on the plane is extremely wealthy and that plane goes down or somebody, there's a liability, that person just wants to ride on the plane. They don't want to own the plane. Like you always say, control everything, own nothing. That's right. <laughs> so I, I, I started getting it. it. took me many years to really grasp it, but that's how the sub share of this trust works. The daughter does not technically own it. They're the economic beneficiary. So some people say, oh, I just want to name my daughter as the trustee. Well, you just, if you do that, you're taking away all the asset protection. Right. Because here's how it works. Let's say that Bob and Mary Smith pass away. They leave the daughter, the sub share, but they name the daughter as the trustee and the beneficiary. Okay. So now let's say, the daughter gets divorced or the daughter dies or the daughter gets in a lawsuit. And let's say now the daughter's sitting in front of, well, couldn't do that if she died, but you know, divorce <laughs> lawsuit and the judge, and, and she's sitting in front of the judge and the daughter says, or the judge says, you have to pay this plaintiff X number of dollars, or you have to pay your ex-husband X number of dollars. And she comes back with the, the fact of, well, I, uh, I'm the beneficiary and it's a trust. And the judge is going to say, okay, who <laughs> is the trustee? Well, I am. Well, I'm demanding you as the individual, as the trustee and as the plaintiff or as the defendant to pay that money out. So it's hard to have asset protection when you are the same as the beneficiary, trustee the same as beneficiary. However, right. let's say that there is a trust company in South Dakota. And let me, I'm going to tell you something real quick, because I know a lot of people's concern at this point is, oh, trust companies, they're for super wealthy people. And well, you know, they how charge much is too much. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So let me, let me squell that concern or quell that, that concern. Um, trust companies first, you don't pay anything while you're alive. So while you, Bob and Mary Smith are alive, the trust company is just named, but they're not doing anything. They don't even know that they're the trust company, which I'll get into later. Right. Okay? But they're just named. 
even after you die, they will only typically charge a quarter to a half a percent per year. And so I'll tell you the quick story about my dad when he got his trust done and he wanted to name me as the trustee. And I said, no, 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 I do not want to be named as the trustee. And too much, too much responsibility, liability, uh, too much. Yeah, I don't want to do that, right? I just want to be the economic beneficiary of it. I don't want to control <laughs> it. That's a lot of work and a risk. Right. So he says, my dad says to me, well, how much, if you outsource this to a trust company and, you know, how much would that cost you? I said, what does it matter, dad? You're dead. Yeah, it's true. You're dead. You're not paying it. It only costs you. It's costing me. So shouldn't you give me the choice? Because I don't want to deal with it. Right. He's like, well, I'm not paying that. My dad was so cheap. But, you know, he was like, I'm not paying that. I said, you're right. You're not. I am. And yeah. for me, from what I know, it's way worth it. So don't name me as the trustee. So don't worry when we say trust company that you think you got to be Elon Musk or something and have billions of dollars to have a trust company. They're inexpensive. Right. So, and they're generally just made up of a bunch of lawyers and accountants. And so if you find the right one, they're not that expensive. Um, okay. So going back to daughter. So daughter sitting in front of the judge and the judge says, you know, I'm, I'm making you pay that money out. But if you have an outside trust company or an outside trustee, that judge has no authority over that person or company. So if the judge demands money to come out of that trust and it's done correctly and there's a trust company that has the right to deny payments for creditors or other things that could ruin the trust, right. the trust company says, sorry, <laughs> not paying it out. Okay. Which is Assets why times, protected. Yeah. Which is why a lot of times what will happen is in a divorce, the opposing spouse is lawyer will ask for a copy of the trust so they can see if they can wrangle anything out of the trust. If the trust is done correctly, the opposing spouse's lawyer looks at it and says, why even spend money on this? I'm, I could get a judgment, but I'm not going to get anything out. Yeah, you're not going to win. I can't force them to take the money out. So that's the one key is making sure, and that's why I kind of built up who's a trust protector, who's a trustee, and why you have to have a separate trustee. So Bob and Mary Smith die, goes into daughter's sub-trust. Now, let's be clear, there's an outside trustee. But if you remember what I told you about the trust protector, that individual can hire and fire the trustee. The reason that that's a very unique trust design we don't see it nine out of 10 times, maybe 99% of the time. We never see people drafting trust protectors. We do it because I know that when a trust company doesn't perform properly, you want to have a trigger that can fire them on the spot right. and replace them. The minute you don't have that, your beneficiaries have to take the trust company to court. And unless you can prove that there was massive fraud or misrepresentation or just bad, bad things, most likely you'll never be able to re re fire and replace that trust company. And then they can okay? just keep doing what they've been doing and there's Poorly. nothing we can really do about it. Right. And that's never a good thing to be locked in. So if you think about it, Mom, uh, Mary and Bob Smith die and daughter gets a sub trust in that sub trust. 
the first thing you got to do is say who's the trustee of it and who's the trust protector. So those are the three parties in that relationship. Right. Okay. So I think what we should probably do, I can, uh, why don't we do another episode where I can take this to the next level and then explain once you have the proper trustee and the proper trust protector picked out, the next step is figuring out how are you, what are you going to allow the daughter to get in economic benefit? And if the daughter dies, what kind of economic benefit do you want to give to the grandchildren? Right. So this way you're able to kind of map everything out for anybody listening, map it out for benefit for the daughter, benefit for the grandchildren, and just give them a little bit more insight into this bloodline trust. Because to be honest, even sitting here with you going over this stuff, yeah, a lot of this I've heard, I've seen, I've seen other trusts drafted that we do. And I could see this stuff working out. Even my my own trust is is written this way. So I see all what all of the I understand everything that you're saying because I'm part of it because of my own trust. But there are a lot of people on here that don't even understand a trust still because they are so consumed with the word will and the price point of a will that they don't even understand the the drafting of that trust. So I think that's a great idea kind of dive in a little bit deeper to a bloodline trust in the next episode. And then from there, pick up with the rest of the mistakes that most people make when drafting a trust. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks All for right. joining everybody. Send in your comments, questions, uh, but we will cover that on the next episode. Find out on the next episode of <laughs> The Wiser Money Show. All right. See you later. <laughs>